Were it not for Connie Ray Andreas, the field of NLP would not exist as we know it today. Together with her late husband, Steve, she co-founded Real People Press and published most of the important early books on NLP. Together, they founded NLP Comprehensive, a leading NLP training center in Colorado, and is the main creator and author of Core Transformation, Reaching the Wellspring Within. We'll ask her about this and more today on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. So welcome, Connie Ray Andreas. It's a real honor and pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Doug. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Good. I'm so glad. So as you know, this is the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, and um, what we talk about is that, what, what coaching skills are essential. Now, of course, you come from a... Uh, it sounds weird to say you come from an NLP background because you kind of like created NLP. You're part of the creation um, team. You were back in there in the early days of NLP with Richard and John, I'm sure, and and everybody else. Um, in fact, I I think if it weren't for you and your husband, Steve, and a lot of the things you did, many people would never have even heard of NLP. I think probably I never would have heard of NLP if it hadn't been for you guys essentially creating the books. Um, that made uh, it all happen. And then, of course, the developing of NLP you've done ever since then. Um, amazing, amazing work. And that's a thrill to have you here. So I'm guessing that for you, coaching is NLP. Is that fair to say? Or um, Yes and no. Okay. I, I think that, um, you know, when, when my husband and I first encountered NLP and continuing to this day, it was, it was an exciting new field. And um, a lot of the excitement had to do with NLP offering a kind of precise way of understanding human experience that would allow us to make changes and get results way faster than anything that, that had happened before. So, um, so that was exciting. And, and, it, and that's still a part of what I um, draw upon from the field of NLP, this precision, this um, NLP could be precise because we went to the level of noticing and mapping out the structure of someone's experience rather than just the content. So a person might have all kinds of content. They'd complain about their life or say, you know, I have this goal and I'm not meeting it. But if we investigate the structure, it's at a whole different level um, of understanding how does this person create the problem? It, it And it turns out there's, if we work at the structure level rather than the content level, we can bring about change much more quickly. Okay, so in well, that sense, in that sense, I think coaching to, to be an effective coach, understanding NLP and is, is really a huge asset. Okay. Very politically said it's a huge asset. And I think you, what you meant was it is essential. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm guessing yeah. you think you can't really. Yeah, do yes. I, I think so. I yeah. think so, because a lot of 
a coaching, a, a lot of coaching trainings that aren't NLP related are primarily teaching coaches how to be a cheerleader, what I'd call a cheerleader for the client. You know, let's set a goal together and map out what are the steps you need to take to get that goal and then put gold stars on your refrigerator, you know, <laughs> when, you, when you've met, you know, so, so, so um, I have a sister, for example, who is the, used to be, before she retired, the director of a nonprofit. Um, in another state, um, a key nonprofit in that state for working with um, with youth. Um, so she was involved in a big network. It was a fairly high pressure job. Um, she hired a coach and that coach, it was helpful, gave her lots of tips on how to relax. You know, you can get a massage, but all of these things don't go to the depth of level that we can go if we have NLP training and skills. Mm-hmm. Then it's more like it's not just we'll get a massage so that you relax or don't do too much in your day so that you don't get too stressed out. Um, that's use, useful knowledge, but it's not it's not nearly as much as we can provide in with NLP skills. So let me just ask you then for people that aren't, aren't as familiar with NLP, I, you know, I am. I'm a master trainer, blah, 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 whatever. Been doing it for a long time. But what what do you mean by the structure of the experience as opposed to the content of the experience. What for people who don't know what that means, what what does that mean? Yes, yes. Okay, now I'm I'm uh, divided between going one way about basic NLP um, or another way, which has to do with the new work that I'm doing. Oh. Now, you tell me. I could do one, and then the, I could do both. We could let's, start let's, with yeah, the basic let's, NLP. Let's, let's do both. Let's start with basic NLP. Okay, so structure of experience. Let's say I have, um, let's say I feel uh, depressed. Okay, you feel depressed. So, so if we're dealing with content, we talk a lot about, well, how do I feel? When do I feel depressed? Who am I th- think? you know, well, right. ever uh-huh. since my childhood, when blah, blah, blah happened. Um, if we're thinking in terms of the structure of experience, then we find out in this moment, um, how am I creating this experience of depression? And for one person, it might be, well, you know, I get up and I wake up in the morning. The first thought I have is actually, I think about, I hear this voice that goes off and goes, oh no, another day of failure. You know, okay, then I feel bad. Mm-hmm. So this is the structure of experience. It's not necessarily the content, it's the structure. It's that I have a voice. We can find where the voice is speaking from, where it's located. We can investigate a lot of things about the structure. Now, another experience, another person might come in and say, I'm depressed. They might even have a similar history. But if we find out, well, how, how do you get to this experience you call depression? Um, well, Um, I wake up in the morning and I see this image of my mother frowning at me with this growly look on her her face, you know, and, and um, then I feel, and then I feel bad, or maybe there's some other steps, Mm -hmm. but the point is different people get there in unique ways. Gotcha. And per, and it's important how the person does it because it, it works much, our brains function much like a computer does in that regard. Um, they, 
it's not exactly like a computer because our brains include, our nervous system includes accessing feelings as well as images and sounds, mm -hmm. tastes and smells. So computers don't access feelings, so it's different. But the access of the feeling is all, all part of that same computer program, if we think about it that way. So if I work with the one client who makes the images of her mother, you know, I need to somehow be addressing that automatic unconscious program and, and change that, transform that. Right. Whereas with the other client, I need to be addressing the inner voice that he has. Beautiful. Now I want, I just want to add that for, for nobody has, nobody is aware of these things when they come in, they, they right. can, you can't say what's the structure of your experience. And then they tell you, Oh, I have this inner voice. People don't, know that they have a voice or an image and that's where the nlp training comes in handy because we teach people how to quite rapidly discover that information right how to ask and then we go the next step then we go the next step of course as you well know then we teach uh, what do you do with it you know how it's one thing to say let's change this computer program but you can't just tell somebody well don't think of that picture then <laughs> just stop it but <laughs> but actually there are some some types of coaching that attempt to do it that way they essentially say just stop it <laughs> you know, just don't have that thought. And that generally doesn't work. Right. <laughs> so what, how is it different now with the wholeness work that you're doing? Um, with the wholeness work, we go to a different level of change and transformation than has existed in the field of, it, this is my opinion now, you know, I'm making a pretty big claim here. And um, I encourage people to investigate it and see what you think. Um, my, um, ex I developed the wholeness work after a life crisis where basically I, I thought I was dying at the time and also was going through a challenging time personally in my personal relationships and so on. Um, so, and I, I just found that what I knew so far wasn't enough, mm. that somehow I knew I had to go to another level. And my feeling was it had the urgency of, if I was going to survive, I, I, I really thought I might not survive unless I really found a way to change at a deeper level than I knew so far. Um, because I, I strongly suspected my health issues were stress related and that, that I really needed to do some kind of deep, deeper transformation than I knew. So that, I think that enabled me to kind of let go of all the, the models for even understanding structure of experience that I had so far and and go for something that was deeper somehow beyond what I knew. Hmm. And, and um, what I did was investigate um, what's considered spiritual teachings. And, and I investigated um, spiritual teachers who described their experience, not just their ideas about their experience. So spirituality, you can, there are lots of ideas people have about, you know, spirituality, what it means, what the important factors, but I was interested more in the transformation experiences themselves, because, because spiritual teachers who had what they called awakening, they talked about going through some kind of radical transformation, where basically everything was different afterwards, they felt different. And, and there tended to be this falling away of what we could call suffering. So, so if, and I was thinking, maybe I need that. 
<laughs> whatever that is. That so, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I sign me up. If there's a way I can get that, I'm interested. But what I found that was in the spiritual circles, it wasn't understood how to make that happen in a reliable sort of way. Right. It was more, you know, you sit around with a spiritual teacher and you hope it happens. Right. And that would be the equivalent, in, in my view, that would be equivalent. So so we, we all know how matches work. We can strike a match and we know it's going to produce a fire. But what if we didn't understood that this happens because it's a match with a certain unique kind of tip on it? What if we thought somebody's just striking sticks, you know, and we, we don't, we can sit around trying to strike sticks for the longest time and not get the same result ourselves. Or we can sit around in the company of someone who, who made a match go off at another time and hope that it, hope that we somehow get the same knowledge they have by just sitting in a circle with them. Well, it, it doesn't generally work that way. Right. Um, and, and I think that even, even experiences that we can call spiritual experiences, they have a structure. Hmm. So, that's what, so, so that's what I started investigating, and that's what led to the wholeness work. Um, wow, it's fascinating. So, it's, so you've been able to extract kind of the, the strategy for wholeness from spiritual experiences and, and codify that into a process that we can replicate. Yes, I believe that's what it is. And um, I didn't, I, I wasn't sure at first, it, it wasn't even that I set out to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I set out to just find a way to be feeling better myself, you know, <laughs> and then, and then, and, and so I started by sitting in circles with spiritual teachers mm-hmm. and doing it you know, and reading that, you know, and meditating and hoping that somehow it would just like, take over me, you know, (laughs) somehow I would have the kind of experience that was talked about. Um, And, but then occasionally I kind of come back to my NLP roots and think about, well, NLP is all about specific structure and the, and the spiritual teachers were telling me, you can't have steps for this. It's, it's not possible to understand it, but I kept going back and forth between that. Okay. Maybe I do. Maybe I need to give up all my effort to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also having these NLP kind of thoughts come, well, well, maybe it does have a structure. Mm-hmm. What if it would be possible? Let me just play around with it. And so from a more open framework, um, not, not by applying existing NLP models, but more like opening to, what what is the actual experience these spiritual teachers are actually talking about and exploring that in my in my experience and then what happened was i i wasn't thinking i was coming up with a model but that's what happened i think if i'd gone into it intending to model it it wouldn't right. have happened because because i think that spiritual experience is is happening at what what is labeled spiritual experience it's happening at a different level of transformation and if we tend, if we attempt to approach it through our existing models and filters, we limit how we um, can can experience it. We limit how far we can go. Wow, that sounds sounds amazing. I, I, I will admit to you, I have this is the first I've actually heard about the what it is all about. Uh-huh. Well, great, wonderful. Yeah. So then it <laughs> then it's a fr- we can talk about it in a fresh way. <laughs> yes, well, it totally is fresh. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Totally Appreciate that. But you know, it's it's very interesting to me because it, again, going back to the NLP, the structure of an experience. Um, if if people are some of these listeners are are new to the world of NLP, um, 
it might be new to them that NLP is about modeling that structure. So if somebody is really good at an ability for, let's say, golfing or whatever, NLP has the ability to go and say, well, what is the structure of that ability that this person has? What are they? What are their thoughts? What are their um, filters? What are they thinking to themselves? What? How are they doing that physically? Um, there's a, there's a way that NLP uses to model that excellence. And, yes, uh, yes. Thank you for bringing the conversation back to that. Yeah, that that's very, very important. Yeah. In NLP, um, the, at the beginning of the field, it was all about modeling um, effective therapists. So Milton Erickson, the, the well-known hypnotist who, who was known as sort of the, the magician of, of hypnotherapy, mm. um, Virginia Satir, who had a similar reputation in family therapy, and Fritz Perls, who was also an innovator in um, personal growth. Um, so the, the beginning of NLP happened around model, what, what we called, what in the field was called modeling um, these people and understanding how, is there a structure to what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes, sometimes therapists and coaches, you know, people teach, well, you just be nice, you know, <laughs> just hold the space, listen in a nice way. There are some kinds of coaching schools that are oriented around that. Um, and, and those are all useful. Yet when we look at what Virginia and Satir and Fritz Perls and Milton Erickson were doing, there were patterns and structures to how they got change, change to happen. Yeah. So that's the, that was the beginning by the developers before I even, even in the early days prior to me, that was the modeling that had been started, that had taken place. All right, All right. No, and it's to me that's it's it sounds like whether you're doing it consciously or not that that was perhaps because you were steeped in that so long that that is in a sense what you were doing with the spiritual teachers that you were you know listening to them say no you must do this meditate on the flower and you go like yeah but what's that other thing you're doing right there that actually seems to be part of a process that yeah yes. So I would be sitting in these groups watching where one teacher comes to mind who's one of the kindest, has biggest heart, uh, most loving beings I've ever met, you know, and here I'm sitting in the circle and he does this thing where you gaze in somebody's eyes and, and then, then you wait for this transformative moment. So and he does that with me and I watch him do it with other people. And I begin to notice some patterns so that I first tried to unconsciously model this where I would do it with other people that had never, who weren't into spirituality at all and said, well, let's just try it. Let, you know, look into my eyes and I look into your eyes and I do this thing and I could see that a certain shift would happen. Um, But I also noticed that that shift that happened there tended not to be permanent. Hmm. Um, And the same thing that was happening in the, in the spiritual circles, often in the spiritual circles, people would have a shift. They'd have a contact high, we could call it, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't necessarily shift the deeper unconscious structure that was ongoing in the person's life. So often people would come back to spiritual circles with the same kind of um, challenges in daily life that they'd be speaking about. So, so yes. Yeah, so then I started thinking, okay, what is, what uh, one one teaching would you like me to go into this a little more now yeah, or do you have some other questions please. you no, want to I, get for we could talk I, about the origins of nlp we can questions. talk about 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot we could say about the history of NLP. It is fun, but actually, I'm most excited about this. What I think of as a new level of transformation. No, I'm, I'm fascinated by. It. Please, please continue. Yes, please. Okay, okay. So what what led me here? Um, first, perhaps I should say there are two methods that I teach and that we we teach um, the team that I'm working closely with that I think work at this different level of experience. One of them is core transformation. Uh-huh. And the, the other one is the wholeness work. And I do have some video introductions that begin to guide people in how to, uh, in, in some of the beginning principles and, and the experience of it. Where, where <laughs> but, can our listeners find those videos? Um, at at andreasnlp.com. And under free, you look under free, there's a free tab. <laughs> yeah, andreasnlp.com, there's a free tab there. And there's a free webinar on core transformation, and there's a free webinar on the wholeness work. Wow. Really? Um, and those are a beginning experience of, of each of these methods. But back to your question about um, how this, you know, the wholeness work, how did this come about? Um one of the, the spiritual teachers I um, encountered, not personally, but through writings, mm-hmm. um, was Ram- Ramana Maharshi. He was um, wide, he had a, a huge wide following among all different religions. People came to him from around the world, mm-hmm. um, from all different religions. Not, and that, I think, in a way, that's a sign of a true spiritual teacher who goes beyond their, their own beliefs, is that they tend to attract people from outside their belief systems as well. Um, and he did. He's no longer living. But he was when he lived in India, that happened. People came. It was harder to travel back in those days, but people did it to get to him. And um, so I read some of his accounts and he, he didn't write himself, but and so it had to come through translation, mm-hmm. and um, probably from Hindi. I'm not sure which the original language <clears throat> into English. Um, and there were, and, and, but I noticed he had this practice. They'd always have people do. He, he had his own waking up experiences, which I found very, very fascinating because his big awakening actually happened when he became very much afraid of death. And this is relevant now in our times, you know, in the, in the pandemic that's sure. now happening, you know, this is, this fear of death is, is um, being awakened in many of us, <laughs> you know, uh, and it, it's uh, so, but he had an, the way it happened for him, he had an uncle that passed away suddenly and um, he was a teenager. It was a shock to him. And after that, he started becoming quite anxious about possibly dying himself <clears throat> And so he went, he started skipping school. One day he went into some cave that tended to be how they did things there. You know, you find a good cave. Um, (laughs) And I'm not going to go into the whole um, experience that he had, but he had this awakening experience. um, Well, basically it was what he, he imagined dying himself and it led to this awakening. And then he ran away from home, basically went to Southern India, um, and uh, became uh, a saint, um, a spiritual teacher. But but this was after about twelve years when he basically sat and meditated, as the as the awakening that happened for him kind of settled in his system, and um, he had people come to him and literally put food in his mouth to keep him alive. 
um, during that time. That's not necessarily an approach that would work for us today. Right. <laughs> People won't necessarily, if we just go in a room and sit there, nobody's probably going to come and put food in our mouth. Right. Um, we so I, I recommend, what we could order out and you know yeah we can order out at least yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he was so much in an altered state that i'm not sure he would have done that right yeah yeah um, anyway the the advice he had for people who came for him to him though was different than what he actually had done mm-hmm. um the advice he gave and i noticed pe- some people came to him with practical problems you know my crops all failed i don't know what to do uh, some people with emotional or relationship issues, you know, I, I lost my wife, I'm through, through grief, or, or I don't know how to get along with my wife and my kids, you know, so and whatever problems people gave him, he tended to have the same answer. And it was find out who you really are. And you won't have this question anymore. It wasn't necessarily that the problems wouldn't exist, but if you find out who you really are, that was his way of putting it. Somehow the suffering around these situations would be different. It would, it would all be transformed. Um, And, and the practice, if people kept being persistent and the practice he gave to people tended to be, ask yourself, who am I, who am I, who am I? And there were a lot of people who'd attempted that practice. And for most of them, it didn't actually lead to the kind of awakening that Ramana Maharshi had. So, but nonetheless, I thought about his, his, this recommended practice. Who am I? And I thought, well, what if we start with a different question? What if instead of asking, who am I? What if we ask, where is the I located? Hmm. And that changes the whole thing. Then, then we're back into a beginning. Th- those, those who have background in NLP, you recognize this as having to do with the structure of experience now suddenly. Um, but he, here's he, to give you a short glimpse that hopefully everyone can understand. What I did is sitting there in that moment, I just thought to myself, okay, where's the eye located? Uh, you know, I, I could say to myself, I am wondering what to do, you know, or I could make any other statement beginning with the word I, Mm -hmm. I am desperate to find an answer, Mm -hmm. you know, which was true for me. And then I asked myself, okay, where's the I located? Where's this I that's desperate to find an answer? And I immediately got an answer to that question. It was, um, it was subtle. And, and here's where a trained coach can help the person always find an answer because sometimes people aren't aware of how to notice, but I made, I immediately noticed, and and it's relatively easy to do. I immediately noticed it was as if there was this sense of location here. Hmm. Um, And it was as if it was this sort of small cloud of sort of fuzzy gray stuff, (laughs) you know, but it was invisible at the same time. If I had to describe it, it it's fuzzy gray stuff, but it was also kind of invisible. There's really nothing there. Um, but if I go, okay, I am desperate to find an answer and where's the I that, okay. Now, if I say that right now, I get a different answer. I find it's right here. It's, it's right. I, if I, if I step into role playing this, I person who's desperate for an answer. I right now I get it. The answer I'm getting is right back here, sort of half in and half outside of my head. It's right here. So now, this is the beginning of the wholeness work. It's the entryway. It's not, it's not the end. Nothing has changed yet. But it's the beginning of a transformation 
which I mean, if you'd like, we can play with it right now um, sure. a little bit more through. The, you want to do it? Why not? <laughs> Are you game? It's just you and me, and and yeah. but everyone listening, yeah. everyone listening, you know, to everyone listening, you can join in. You can do the same thing that Doug and I are going to be doing right now, and play with it. Just find out if does anything happen for you, and uh, or not. And one key principle with the wholeness work is whatever happens in your experience is the right thing. You can't do this wrong. <laughs> you really can't do it wrong. So we always find a way to adapt the method for you, not the other way around. And so, so, so what I, what I end up doing is ha invite people to start with a simple sentence. You know, you don't have to be desperate. Most people aren't. I happen to be at that time, but um, you, you don't have to be uh, anything. You, you're, you're whoever, each of us is whoever we are in this moment. So so what I like to do to start is just kind of, okay, if we all close our eyes in this moment, take a deep breath, maybe turn inward. And then we go, okay, check in and through, check it through our body. What's, what's a sensation, a body sensation that we notice? What do we notice that's easy to notice in this moment? Maybe it's just, okay, I'm aware of where my thighs touch the chair I'm sitting on. Or maybe I feel a little bit of, of uh, pulling or, or tension right under my left rib. I can find both of those things right now. You know, so each, each of you find something. It doesn't have to be a problem. It doesn't, it can just be like, oh, I notice where my elbows are touching the armrest. There's a sensation there, a pressure. It can be that simple. So you have something, Doug? I do, yes. Okay, great, great. And what are what are you choosing? If you're willing to, if you're okay sharing? Yeah, yeah. I'm just actually I don't have armrests, but I was I was actually noticing how my arms are resting on my on my lap. Okay, lovely, lovely. So then the next thing is we kind of sense into that. Notice the I'm going to go with the slight tension under my left rib, and so I notice how much area does this sensation take up. It's uh, not very much space right now. It's a little area. And you don't have to notice the exact boundaries, but just kind of notice the area it takes up. And then notice sensing in and through, what's the sensation quality? And for me, it's kind of hard to describe. I don't know if I can even put words to it, but maybe it's um, slight slight tension. That's not quite sensation quality. There's this, maybe a slight tingling. If I had to make some words, maybe there's a slight tingling. And so if you, if you sense in and through the area, what sensation do you notice? I would, I would call it something more like a, a, a warm, soft, pillowy feeling. Lovely, lovely, beautiful. And each of you who are listening um, and are watching, um, you can just notice what you notice. It can be anything, anything at all. There's no wrong answer. And it might be something you can't put into words. But just sensing in and through the area, what's the sensation quality? And then the next piece is that now we go, okay, I, we can think and it is true. I am aware of this sensation, right? I can go, I am aware of this sensation here under my left rib cage. I am aware of this sensation, right? Yep. So now we, now we get to the weird part. And we just ask, so far it's sort of, sort of normal, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now we get to the strange part and we ask, okay, 
I am aware of this sensation. Where's the I who's aware of this sensation? Where's the I who notices? And without thinking, without figuring anything out, just what's the first location that comes into mind? I am aware of this sensation. Where is the eye located? And right now, the location that comes for me is on my left side. It's mm. kind of maybe about this big. It's outside of my body. Mm. And um, what, what for you? Mine is more centrally located in my chest. Okay, in my chest. Great. Yeah. And what's the approximate size and shape? I'd say it's approximately uh, the size of um, like a softball. Okay, great, great. Great, great. Excellent. And everyone going along for the ride with us, everyone participating, you can notice where's the eye for you. Sometimes it's way far away. It could be anywhere. I Once somebody said, well, it's, it's like it's in a different galaxy. Right. Um, more often, it's either in the body somewhere or around the body somewhere. But it can be anywhere. It can really be anywhere. Sometimes it's part in and part out. It can be in the head. It can be in the torso. It can be outside really anywhere. So, so, and for you, yours is in the chest. So it's mm -hmm. in the body. Mine is outside my body a little to my left. Uh -huh. And now, now what we do is notice sensing in and through the space. What's the sensation quality in and through the space? I'm not sure I understand that question. Okay. So mine is here outside. The, the location is outside my body. It's about this big. And I'm, if we're on audio, only my it's about the big of say a basketball um but it's sort of nebulous it doesn't have any any exact borders but if i sense in and through as if i can sense in and through it's kind of open and airy but maybe there's a little bit of something slightly almost stickyish um so i can go with that as the sensation quality okay so, so it's like if I sense in and through the space, is there a sense, is it warm or is it cool? Okay. Is it light or is it dark? Is it like open and airy or is there a kind of denseness? Gotcha. Is so it kind of yeah, vibrating or still? Mine, mine kind of looks like a, like a crystal ball. Um, uh -huh. Like that. It's a kind of a glowing orb, but it was, um, it's not hard like a crystal ball. It's more just an energy uh, okay. Okay. Great. Great. Lovely. So it's a glowing orb, kind of like a crystal ball. Uh, lovely. And if we were doing this in a group, you know, another person might say, "Oh, and if if I'm if there's a sensing in and through, it's like there's this vibrating feeling." Someone else might say, "Well, it's kind of dense and hard," and somebody else might say, "Well, it's sort of just open and airy, like there's just nothing there mm. at all." Um, it might be kind of misty or even damp, like a cloud. There might be the sense. So it could be anything. It could be anything. But I hope I have enough examples that you can get the idea of the kind of experience we're going for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so the next thing is like, the, so now we've noticed the location of the eye. Now, notice in spiritual teachings, a lot of Eastern spiritual teachings have the common thread of awakening has to do with dissolving the ego. Mm -hmm. And the way this exploration came about is I started thinking about what does that really mean? What is the ego? We could, we could talk about what it means, but perhaps the simplest way of understanding the ego is it's the eye. 
So what we just did is find out in experience the structure of the ego in this moment with respect to this particular experience. It's not the entire ego with respect to everything, but in this moment, the, the I, mm-hmm. we could say, okay, this is the, this is the I. Now, um, in Eastern spirituality, they say, well, the ego, it, it, it's all an illusion. It's made up and it doesn't really exist, but that's a concept as it's taught. Um, and yet, if we think about it, this eye that I found here on my left and the one you find out here inside your chest, well, if someone were to ask us, who are we really? Would we say that's who we are? Hmm. You know, oh, I'm this, I'm this little orb here off to my left or, oh, I'm this little orb in my chest. You know, it's, we know that we're really much more than that. Right. So here's how we begin to explore that. Um, if we go back to this original sentence we started with, like, I am aware of this sensation. We, we explored the sensation. We know its location. Um, we explored the I. We know its location. We know its size and shape. We know its sensation quality. But we haven't yet explored the middle of that, which is aware, awareness. Mm. I am aware of this sensation. And that's a significant piece of the sentence. So if uh, what I what I discovered in talking to to in guiding different people through this is that people have a wide range of experiences for the word awareness and and for this process to work there's a certain way of experience experiencing awareness that works and so I like to guide people in experiencing it that way. Hmm. So so here's how it is. It's okay. like we it's something you can check in your own experience in any moment. So. We know that, that awareness already exists throughout our body. We know this because we can tune inward right now and we can, and, and awareness is there. If somebody were to bump our knee, we would notice. It's not like we'd have to send our awareness down there, you know, or if somebody bumped me on the shoulder, I wouldn't have to like set my, send my awareness over there. There'd be this automatic registering. This, and that's because awareness is already existing in and through the body. Mm. So if we pause to just experience that for this moment, oh yeah, we can all experience that awareness is when we pause to register it, we can get distracted and not notice too. Not, but if we pause to register it, awareness already exists in and through our body. And in addition, if there's a sound outside our body, so if I snap my fingers to the left of me or to the right of me, there's an automatic receiving of the sound. And you all, everyone listening can check that for yourself too. It's like, you know that if a sound was on one side or another side or above or in front or behind, wherever the sound would be, there would be this natural automatic receiving of the sound, right? Yeah. So, so, uh, so we can right now be a, have this experience that awareness already also exists in the space around us. There's this capacity to notice that's already present in the body and this capacity to notice that's already through the space all around. Make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. So, so then just I invite people to not just think about that, but to actually experience that in the moment. It's like, ah, so I can experience awareness through the body and I can experience this sense of space all around and throughout, all around my body also in this moment. 
And this kind of experiencing of space, it's something that martial arts teachers also invite people to, to do because they become better at it. Right. If, uh, so, so just pausing to experience this space through the body and also all around, that's an important part. Registering that there, and this space that's all around, it has no borders. There's no edge to it. It's not like we can go, oh, if a sound happened within three feet, I would hear it. But if it was more than three feet, I wouldn't hear it. We can't find an edge to it. Right, right. Even though, even though we can know that if a sound happened in China right now, um, I wouldn't hear it because I'm in the United States at this moment. Right. Even if it's happening in New York City where you are, I probably won't hear it because I'm... But nonetheless... Um, in subjective, th- that's mental knowledge. In terms of subjective experience, right. we can't find an edge to this experience of space and this experience of the capacity to notice, right? Right. That's okay, right. so now we're ready to go to a little experiment. And here's where we get to the potential shifting. Yeah, okay. so now we go back to the, to, what we, um, to the eye that we found before. Okay. Mine's over here. Yours is in your chest. People, uh, others participating on the call, wherever yours is. Notice that eye again and sensing in and through. Notice the sensation quality as if you could almost feel or sense all the way through that space. Notice the sensation quality there without even needing to name it. Just notice the notice its sensation quality. And then Notice what happens when the sensation here in this area of the eye, when the sensation here of the eye is invited to open and relax in and as the fall field of awareness that is all around and throughout. Now, that might not make any sense and you don't need to have it make any sense, but just notice what happens, if anything, if we invite the sensation of the eye the aliveness here, what happens when this sensation is invited to open, relax, dissolve, melt, in and as the fall field of awareness that is all around and throughout. And then just to take a moment to allow whatever happens to happen. Hmm. Yeah. And for some people, there's a shift that happens quickly and right away. Other people, there's this shift that happens slowly and gradually. And you kind of let, the, let it happen however it does. And for some people, nothing happens at all. And all of those are fine. Hmm. Yeah. For me, it feels like it's just a, it's a blending of the two so that what was confined in my chest is now expanded outwards to the uh-huh. edges of that awareness from before. Uh huh. One mm-hmm. experiential field. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of, and I kind of forgot to go to do it along with you. I was just kind of, <laughs> I was in the in the um, offering the the guidance. But if I let mine go right now, um, what tends to happen for me is there's kind of this, a kind of dissolving, melting where it starts disappearing. Whatever was the essence of this. It starts disappearing as it also seems to start circulating in some way in the larger field. That's how it happened to happen this time. Every time I've done it, it happens a little differently. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
And for many people, there's a certain style where it tends to go this way. Other people, it tends to go differently until a certain phase of the practice. And then there's a shift in how it happens. And uh, so, so, yeah, there's just many different experiences. It seems very trippy. I mean, it seems like the kind of thing I would have thought of back in the 60s when I was smoking pot around a campfire or something, you know. Interesting observation. I think you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of thing. People liked acid and the psychedelic mushrooms and those kind of things because they um, they brought about a temporary altered state of consciousness where our normal eyes were dissolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. And so... And so now, and then for most people, um, the normal way of functioning tended to come back. It wasn't necessarily a permanent um, oh, definitely not. shift. Yeah. yeah. But it, it could be interesting because it gave people a glimpse of what was possible, Absolutely. something interesting that was possible. Um, when it happens on drugs, it tends to alter because it's chemically induced. Mm-hmm. It tends to shift consciousness in a way that people aren't necessarily functional. So that's a downside. <laughs> you know, when we do it this way, there's this kind of trippy feeling sometimes. It's like, whoa, something really shifted. Yeah, it definitely happened. Yeah, for sure. And you're right. You know, uh, not that I had extreme experiences with those um, chemical interactions back in the 70s. But um, yes, I can attest from personal experience that it is temporary and um, doesn't necessarily promote real functioning in the uh, real world. Um, Yeah. And I think the reason it's temporary is because it happened through outside coercion or force rather than through consciousness itself waking up. And that's with the wholeness work. What we're doing is conscious. We're inviting consciousness itself to wake up. (laughs) That sounds, you know, I, 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 that sounds a little trippy and I, I could break down exactly what I mean by that but it might take a few days, <laughs> but we do, we do that in the trainings we go into. So, so, but we can start doing that right now. You know, our consciousness, we were all unaware until we tuned in where that eye was located yeah. and we were unaware that we even had it. So, you know, if somebody says, what's your ego, we would likely to go into this whole mental definition. Right. Definitely. And this takes us right into experience, a real experience. Yeah. So, and then the interesting thing is when we go direct to the experience, when we invite it to dissolve, for many people, most people, there is some kind of shift, either subtle to more dramatic. Sometimes it's very subtle the first time. The first time I did it, I hardly noticed mm. anything was happening. Um, but whether it's subtle or not, what we're working, <clears throat> we're working with the structure of our experience. We're working at the structure of consciousness itself. And we're, we're, uh, we're inviting, not forcing a shift at that level. So it's not, it, it's not like any kind of medication comes in and like imposes it from the outside. We're inviting it. And because it's an invitation, not a, not a coercion, that then if it's right for the system, a shift happens. So this is also very interesting to me because it is also very different from most purposes, most reasons people use NLP as an example. Um, NLP yes. is, is usually like, I have this problem. I need to fix it or get rid of it. And then so okay, sure, we can do that. And it's like we do some NLP process and you no longer have that phobia or you stop biting your nails or whatever. We, we, it's, it's 
it's curative. I'm not sure what the word is. Yes, yes, yes. I understand what you're saying. It, most people come to us as coaches because they have a certain problem that they want fixed. Right. You know, to just put it bluntly. That, you know, I have this problem. I don't want to have it anymore. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> and, and yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because um, what I found is that for most people, if you use existing um, models for change, they can fix that mm. at that level. Um, if you work at the wholeness level and the core transformation, what happens is you do fix that problem. The problem does change, mm-hmm. uh, but you do more than that. So, and what I have started to notice in, in working with the people that I've worked with over years, sometimes I've noticed that when we, when we offer fixes that are at an earlier stage of development that are just focused on fixing the problem, mm-hmm. um, often they'll work. Sometimes they won't work. Sometimes right away, the person needs a deeper, deeper level of transformation, but often they will work. <clears throat> I was one of those tough clients. They never seemed to work for me. <laughs> but anyway, often they will work. And I did notice that from a lot of my clients, they work. And then if, I, if somebody sticks with me over time, not necessarily weekly sessions, but maybe they check in with me every six months or just whenever they have a need. If we have that kind of relationships, then sometimes three months later, six months later, a year later, Somebody calls me up or, or emails me and said, okay, it worked for a while, but now I'm finding that Either they have a new issue that now they're facing, or it seems like the same old issue coming back. Mm-hmm. Now, what the, if it was a real change the first time, what, what it tends to be the case is it's not really the same issue anymore. It might have the same symptom, but now the person is ready to work with a d- deeper level of structure. And, and almost requires a deeper level of structure to solve it now. So, so it gives me a way to solve the problem, yes, but I'm also working with a different phase of transformation. And so we're able to go to that deeper level where it can solve the problem plus shift us in how we are in the world. So, so we have more ease in how we're moving through the world also. Can, so. I, can I just stop you? Because I'm still trying to decipher what that really means. So you fix the problem on one level, but then it comes back, it means that they're ready to deal with it on a deeper level of structure. It's um, an, it, it's a calling for, for, for dealing with it on a deeper level. Yeah. So deeper level of structure, meaning more closer to the idea again of finding out who you really are and you won't have that question anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and what I'm noticing People can start with this deeper level, although sometimes people need to start with the what we could call shallower level. But I don't know. That's sort of demeaning. It's not really that. It's it would be like saying a child who's crawling is is working at a shallower level than a child than a child who's walking. It's all it's all good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But when the child's ready to walk, you know, they're not going to be so excited if you show them new methods for crawling, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you, you need to be matching the level. So this is something that we also get into in our coaching training is how to notice and match this the stage of transformation that the person that the client is is asking for wow. and needs. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Wow. My goodness. This could go on. I could talk, could talk to you and listen to you for hours, for days, for weeks. Um, really fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, in interest of time, I do want to just ask you the questions that I, I, I 
I promised my listeners I would ask every sure comes on the thing. So if there were one essential coaching skill that if people wanted to really be great coaches or, or to improve themselves as a coach, um, what do you say, would, would you say that is? What's an essential coaching skill somebody must have to be an effective coach? I think it's a great question. Um, yes. And of course I could talk hours on that, but to make it short, <laughs> to make it short, um, the main number one thing that a coach needs to be successful is good methods. Good. And that might good methods, but it's amazing how many people don't think of that. <laughs> you need methods that actually work reliably with a wide range of clients. Can you describe what you mean by a good method? Um, I, I define a good method by one that works reliably, predictably with a wide range of clients and a wide range of issues. So, so, and, and I'm talking about coaching that works on a transformational level now. So it might be having this, full range of methods from the, the um, basic NLP methods that, that assist person. It's not just that we can sit and talk and conscious mind set goals or conscious mind talk about and, and even consciously talk about our feelings. It's more that we can access the structure of experience. Okay. So I'm talking about the NLP repertoire um, here, and I'm, I'm especially meaning uh, well, then then what I think give people really good methods, personally, my personal two favorites are, are the core transformation and the wholeness work, because they're not the only ones that I use, though. I also value and use um, a, a whole repertoire of NLP methods, and so that I can bring in what I feel like is most needed. But I, I find that the most reliable ways to get the client's goals met as quickly as possible um, and in an enduring way, tend to be core transformation and the wholeness work. Okay. So, so I use those the most of anything. Um, and, and we did, I, I want to mention that we have recently had a study, or, uh, the first random c controlled study on core transformation, really? uh, which was published in a peer-reviewed journal, um, July of 2019. It's in the journal, let's see if I have, yeah, the Journal of Counseling and Development. Fantastic. So, and, and it's, you know, one of the things that it showed, what the, the research, it was just studying one session of core transformation. And of course, if you use the, a real coaching practice, you see somebody more than once most of the time. Mm. So, but with just one session, they got, they measured results from just that. And what they found is that 61% of those who could have had a clinical diagnosis before that single session um, no longer fell into this category after that single session. So that, that's pretty remarkable, I think, yeah. um, to get. So, so, so how does this relate to success as a coach? Well, if you're successful, if you help a client get results and you can help a wide range of clients um, with a wide range of issues, then more people are going to come back to you as a coach. You know, the same person is going to want more sessions with you because they've experienced that. Um, hey, I got results mm. uh, there. You know, Mark, my son and colleague um, and Tamara, you know, they Mark actually has a, is spending more time in private practice right now than I am. I am devoting more time on trainings. But um, every now and then he's talking to me about a client who said who comes and said, you know, I tried all these other methods. Um you know, and now I'm starting to get results. And so they sign up for more sessions because they're getting results. So 
that helps success both in terms of client satisfaction, but in terms of, of a, a coach being able to develop a successful practice if you have methods that reliably get results. Gotcha. That makes total sense, of course. Um, yeah, why would you go to a mechanic who, when you go to the mechanic, you don't get the car fixed? Yeah, it's like, okay, I'm gonna, if, if the mechanic really fixes your car once, you're going to go back. You're going to refer your friends. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's really great. And the, the question about um, methods, different um, methods that a coach needs to be successful as a coach to get those, you know, the car fixed, to use that metaphor. Um, if you had to pick one, if you had to pick one, that um, you said, this is the most essential skill that a coach must have to be a good coach, to get results for people. Would you pick the wholeness? Would you pick uh, core? I would probably pick core transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I'm personally devoting my time to wholeness now, because I think it goes even farther in the direction core transformation goes. But I think core transformation um is often what people need first. And it's, it, it's, uh, you, you know, core transformation, right? I mean, to just sum it up in like one sentence, core transformation, you start with any problem behavior or emotion, like, I feel angry, I'm always getting pissed off at my boss, and this isn't helping, you know, or, or, or I'm feeling jealous of my, you know, my relationship. Um, or it could be a habit, like I bite my nails and I don't want to, or I, I keep craving this food and I don't want to. Whatever it is, a, a behavior or an emotion, you start there, and that the problem becomes a doorway to what is experienced, to this felt sense of a, a profound core that, that people often describe as peace or oneness or, mm-hmm. or uh, beingness. They use any kind of words, but oftentimes, but they feel it to be, Profound. People use the word. As soon as I started doing core transformation, suddenly more than half of the people I was working with were using the word profound in describing the results to me. Yeah, I can, and, I can certainly imagine why. I did it, frankly, just a few weeks ago with a friend of mine who's ah. do kind of a co-coaching thing. I coach him, he coaches me. Because, um, by the way, I think people who do coaching should get coaching from time to time. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yes. That that would be the next thing I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I agree totally. Um, but it's it is profound. It is profound and you do get to that state of oneness or wholeness very quickly. And I love the idea that the problem becomes a, a portal, you know, a pathway into that connection. Yeah. With, uh, with and then, and then that from that state, which people often experience as profound, it, the, the process guides people, as you know, mm-hmm. in then healing or transforming the life issue. So it's like when people do drugs, or even sometimes meditation, they often use it like a drug to take us out of reality, Mm. and into some kind of altered state. And with this, it becomes a portal to something that then transforms life here and now on this planet, you know, in the world where we're taking partaking of day after day. That's great. Well, listen, I I know we've we've kind of used up our time here. Thank you so much for being here. And I appreciate the changes you've made on our planet and in all of our lives, really, for what you've done for us and what you continue to do with NLP and core transformation and the wholeness process. So Connie Ray Andreas, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Doug, for inviting me. It's been fun to share this with you a little and, um, 
and also with the people that I'm imagining are part of the, are part of our conversation. Great. I hope to talk more with you. If we could do that sometime in the future, I'd be uh, very delighted. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, great. Blessings to you. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.